On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. Let's pray before we look at God's word together. Father in heaven, you've given us your word and you've given it to us for a reason. So Lord, whatever I say today, whether it's correct or not, we pray that your reason would be laid upon our hearts as we go away from this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Nick, you've actually beautifully illustrated my first point here (laughs) because uh, I want to think about these two characters, Simeon and Anna, who are really as much part of the Christmas story as the shepherds or the magi, but we find it difficult to remember their names and we don't know very much about them. These were two prophets who saw Jesus as a baby and were moved by God to declare that this was God's chosen Messiah the one Israel were waiting for. So um, these two seem to have a very rich grasp of the Jewish scriptures, and they could see in the baby they were holding the fulfillment of all of those scriptures. Quite amazing, really. But, um, you know, that could be a sermon for another time, how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament and um, his 
place as being born under the law. That's emphasized in there as well. But today I want to focus on two really simple questions. What kind of people were Simeon and Anna? And how can we follow their example as we approach a new year? So, first of all, what sort of people were there? What were they? Um, just turn to the person next to you if you're sitting next to someone, or have a think and look down at your Bibles if not. And uh, in a moment, be ready to shout out a few things. What kinds of people were Simeon and Anna? What kind of people were they? Shout out some answers. Old. Old, okay, yep, great. <laughs> Strong believers, yes, absolutely, they were. I heard another good word over here. Patient, patient they were patient, they were godly, yes. Yeah, all good thoughts. So uh, if you look down at verse 25, Simeon was described as righteous and devout. What does that mean? Well, it means he worshipped God with his whole heart, and he put God first in his life, and he put others before himself. He loved God and he loved his neighbor. That's what it means to be righteous and devout. It says the Holy Spirit was on him. And what does that mean? Well, the Holy Spirit guided him. He had this special relationship with God, God's special presence that was typical of the Old Testament prophets. The Holy Spirit was on them. Anna, described as very old, she's a widow as well. And uh, we read, she never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Very godly lady. So what they both have in common is their commitment to God. They lived for God every moment of their lives. So, what sort of people were they, were they, and how can we learn from that? They show us the best way to live, and that is living for God. So, let's think about how we can do that as we approach a new year, and as perhaps some of us make New Year's resolutions. How can we walk more closely with God, walking in step with the Spirit, as Galatians puts it? How can we commit ourselves to following God wholeheartedly? Second thing. We've looked at what kind of people they were, and how can we follow their example? Now, I ask this because it's not easy for us to follow God wholeheartedly. And even from this short reading about Simeon and Anna, we come across several reasons why it wasn't easy for them either. And I've come up with five difficulties they overcame to walk um, uh, confidently uh, in God, which should be an encouragement to us, hopefully. Many of us will be experiencing the same things. Here's number one. Already been said down here. They were patient. They spent their lives waiting. They both seem to have been quite old. And they were waiting for God to do something on behalf of Israel. So uh, verse 26 says, It had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And here he is waiting. We actually know basically nothing about his life. He might have owned a shop in Jerusalem. He might have been a trader. He might have been a farmer. He might have been a shepherd. He might have, you know, he might have liked to go on holiday to Cyprus. Who knows? We just don't know anything about him. But what we do know is he probably did all the normal things that people do. And yet the thing that characterized him is that he was waiting. That characterized his life. And don't we feel like that sometimes? We go about our normal lives, doing the things that everybody else seems to do, and we're waiting, and perhaps we're waiting for an answer to prayer. Perhaps we're waiting for that special presence of God that other Christians seem to have and we don't. Perhaps we're waiting for Christ to return. 
But we're all waiting. And sometimes it feels like we're waiting forever. Now, what we can learn from Simeon and Anna is that they didn't get tired of waiting. They kept going. So uh, I've got a point here for the kids. How many kids are there in the room? One. (laughs) I was going to ask, kids, do you get tired of waiting for Christmas? Maybe there are some watching online. Kids, do you get tired of waiting for Christmas? Um, What do you do to build up for the big day? Adults as well. We all do it, don't we? What do we do to build up to Christmas? Nobody does anything. Put lots of lights up. Lights, yeah, sorry, there was one over there. Lights. Advent calendars. Advent calendars, thank you. <laughs> yeah, and we have a few celebrations in the lead up to Christmas, don't we? Carol services, maybe we go to Bulldog Fair and, uh, you know, buy things there. The key is to turn waiting into preparing. When waiting is preparing, it doesn't feel like waiting anymore. So... This can kind of shift the way we pray a little bit. Instead of praying, um, instead of thinking, I'm going to ask God for things, and maybe some of those things will come and my prayers will be answered. Um, Instead of thinking that, because that's a way to basically burn out and to lose heart, we can think, I'm going to pray today to prepare myself for when God starts doing wonderful things in me and around me. Isn't that a better way to look at it? That's what Simeon and Anna were doing. They're waiting for the consolation of Israel. Second thing, this is a quick one. Age and stage, they were old. I'm told that being a Christian gets harder as you get older, not easier. That seems to be my experience so far, and I'm not very old yet. Um, But also, Anna had been widowed very young and remained unmarried after that. Now, she had the grief of that. She had the loneliness of that. She also, in that culture, had the the problem of not having someone to provide for her, so she she could have starved. Um, She had a lot of practical problems. Now, when we experience these practical problems, the temptation is to think, how could God let this happen to me? I'm moving away from God. And what did Anna do? She never left the temple, but spent day and night praising God, praying and fasting. What an example to us. She moved towards God in her grief. Our age and stage is the situation God has placed us in. As my mum keeps reminding me when I find life hard, you know, with everything going on and with a two-year-old, you know, driving us up the wall. It's an opportunity. We might not be able to do everything we could have done previously. Might not have the time or the energy. But that's where God has placed us to serve him. Simeon and Anna set us that example. Thirdly, problems at church. When the preaching doesn't fire you up, or there are tensions in relationships, or even things you disagree with. It's easy to lose our commitment to God. Maybe even thinking, if God really cared about his church, he wouldn't be letting this happen in his church. Well, where where was the church of Simeon and Anna's day? Shout it out. Temple. Temple, yes. The temple, this whole story revolves around the temple. Jesus is brought to the temple to be dedicated to God. Anna never left the temple. Simeon came into the temple. He obviously wanted to be there. The temple at the time was largely controlled by the Sadducees. And uh, what did Jesus think of the Sadducees? Were they great people? Not really, no. Jesus didn't really have a good word to say about the Sadducees who controlled the temple. Um, Jesus went in and cleared the temple, you remember? He cleansed the temple. And that account is recorded in all four Gospels. 
So it's obviously important, an important part of Jesus' ministry was going in and clearing up that mess in the temple. And yet, Anna was there day and night, even in the mess that was the temple. The leaders were terrible. There were people doing evil things in the temple, and Anna knew that that's where God wanted her to be, and she was there day and night. Isn't that amazing? So, when there are problems at church, we should follow Anna and Simeon's example and be patient and prayerful as we go through those problems, even when, even when the church isn't perfect, which I know it normally is, but, you know, <laughs> on the occasional times when it isn't. Fourth thing, imposter syndrome. This is where you, you feel like you shouldn't be there. You know, you don't belong. You're not worthy to be part of this. So how many people sit in church week by week thinking, if people around me knew what I was going through or what I've done, you know, they'd hate me. I shouldn't be here. We all have that at times. Now, that is the gospel. None of us deserves to be here, and we're all sinners. But some of us feel that more acutely than others. And we can learn from Anna here. This is how she's described in verse 36. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. Quite common to name where she's from, but it kind of rings alarm bells because she was from the tribe of Asher, which was one of the 10 northern tribes who were wiped out by Assyria. And the reason they were wiped out by Assyria is because God said, your sin has got too great, I want nothing to do with you anymore. You've crossed the line beyond which there is no forgiveness. You're going to be destroyed by Assyria. Now, Anna, of course, wasn't responsible for that sin of the past, but she could have let that past get to her and feel that God wanted nothing to do with her. God's said, enough is enough. You've overstepped the line. There's no more forgiveness for you. Imposter syndrome. I shouldn't be in the temple day and night. I don't belong here. But her sense of God's goodness was greater than her sense of anything that might keep her away from God. So let's allow that to be a lesson to us as well. When we're feeling that sense of guilt and imposter syndrome, God's grace is bigger than our guilt. Finally, I don't get this last one from our text, but uh, just the context in general, the world around them. Remember that Simeon and Anna lived in a culture with a very confusing mix of religions and cultures. They were Jewish. They were occupied by the Romans. This follows hot on the heels of the conquest by Alexander the Great, creating what he hoped would be a Greek empire, so a lot of Greek culture. They've got, on the one hand, the hyper-religious Judaism of the Pharisees, and uh, on the other hand, they've got the Sadducees denying the resurrection, denying the existence of angels. Uh, the Greek influences were kind of the equivalent of our secular world. They did have gods, but you could pick and choose whatever you wanted, and as long as you were tolerant, that was fine. Same with the Roman one. Now, they might have thrown up their hands and said, well, I just don't know what's right, I don't know what's true, and I don't know how to be godly, and if I do follow this particular route, then I'll lose my friends in that group. All of these pressures, and don't we have similar pressures today? I want you all to take a moment in silence to think about things you might prefer to be doing this morning than being at church. <laughs> Ten seconds, off you go. Now, the thing is, 
the longer that list, the more you feel the pressures from the world around us. That doesn't necessarily make you a bad person. It just means that you are feeling the pressure. The thing is, you now have a choice. What will you put first? People online as well, you have a choice. What will you put first? Simeon and Anna had to make that choice, and they lived for God with their whole hearts. So let's follow their example as we move into a new year. Let me finish with some concluding thoughts. If we were being really simplistic, we could describe this sermon like this. Look at how good Simeon and Anna were, and let's try to follow their example. And as Christians, it's really good for us to do that and to become more godly as a result. But before any of that, the first thing we need to learn from them is that they felt their need of a savior. In verse 30, Simeon said, famous words, my eyes have seen your salvation. Holding on to a baby. He hadn't seen anything grand. He hadn't seen anything that could make him really proud to call himself a Jewish person, you know, something wonderful, some uh, supernatural event. It was a supernatural event. Didn't look like it. He just held a baby and said to God, my eyes have seen your salvation. This is a man who knows he needs to be saved from something and knows how God works. Not necessarily in the grand, impressive ways, but in very humble and simple ways. Similarly, Anna gave thanks to God when she saw the baby. And then, I don't know if you noticed this, but it says, um, it says in verse 38, coming up to them at that very moment, Anna gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She just couldn't stop talking about this baby. So one final question as we finish, as we learn from Simeon and Anna's example. Does Jesus mean as much to you as he meant to them?